Welcome to the White Coat Life Coach Podcast. I'm your host, Certified Coach Paula White, MD. If you're a physician in academic medicine looking for skills to understand and take control of your experiences, both in work and out, this is a great place to start. Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode 58. It is one of those beautiful days today that makes it feel like it's actually spring. Um, I know it is actually spring, but here in the Chicago area, we always get this little uh, warm spell every April and it makes you feel like, okay, spring is here to stay. And then it actually goes back to true Midwest (laughs) spring weather, which is very rainy and not very warm. But I remember this every year because the year that my first child was born, I went into labor on a Saturday. And during early labor, my husband and I walked around our neighborhood just over and over and over all day long. And I remember wearing shorts and flip-flops and we stopped for ice cream and I ended up having the baby on Monday morning. It was a bit of a long labor for number one. But anyway, you know, I remember it was like in the 80s that weekend. And then when I came home from the hospital a few days later, it was back in the, you know, 40s and 50s. And I remember walking into our apartment and seeing my flip-flops still sitting there by the door. And it was definitely not flip-flop weather anymore. But anyway, it's beautiful now. We're going to enjoy it while it lasts. As I'm sure you've noticed by now, it's not uncommon for me to use my own recent experiences as topics for the podcast, and this week is no exception. I'm pretty sure no one likes being wrong, at least not in most circumstances anyway. There are some patient care situations when I love being wrong. If I'm seeing a patient in the first trimester and I suspect that their very desired pregnancy is not going to progress, I love being wrong about that. If I'm doing a biopsy that I'm pretty sure is going to be cancer, love being wrong about that too. But by and large, I don't love being wrong. Recently, I had one of those days where it just kind of felt like nothing was quite right, and I found myself telling a friend that I'd had to eat crow twice that day, which is two times more than I prefer. And of course, since it was a source of discomfort for me, it made me think, well, at least it's a great topic for a podcast. I did a little bit of a Google search about the term eating crow. In the past few years, I've learned that at least a few old sayings or phrases that I've grown up with and always thought of as innocuous actually have unsavory or even offensive origins, so I've gotten a little cautious about making sure to look things up. But it turns out the phrase eating crow is an innocent one, nothing offensive, well, to humans anyway. The Merriam-Webster definition doesn't quite cut it for me. They say, quote, to admit that one was wrong or accept that one has been defeated, unquote. Well, yes, that's true, but it feels like it's missing something. I do love Merriam-Webster, especially the trolling from their Twitter account, but this one was just sort of lacking. Grammarist, however, uses this definition, quote, to admit a humiliating error one has made, to concede a humiliating defeat, unquote. That one's better. Their word humiliation is key here. But while that definition captures the basic idea, it didn't really explain where it came from, and that's the part that we need to be careful about with old idioms and phrases. So I looked in Wikipedia, and their definition was a touch better. Wikipedia says, humiliation by admitting having been proven wrong after taking a strong position. They go on to further explain that as crows are carrion eaters, it would be repulsive to eat one similar to how being proven wrong may be emotionally hard to swallow, 
So I feel like that one sums it up pretty nicely. So anyway, on this particular day, I'd had to eat crow twice or three times if you count the fact that I was very ungracious with one of the two incidents. So then I had to go back and apologize for being snippy and rude. I was not my best self that day, that's for sure. What's funny is that only a few days later, I was already struggling to remember the details of the first instance. It felt so important and significant at the time, but it was already fading. So how do these things happen? Let's break it down a little bit to figure that out. Let's go with that third definition again, the Wikipedia one. Humiliation by admitting having been proven wrong after taking a strong position. So it's not just about being proven wrong, is it? Like I said in the intro, there are times when I'm thrilled to be wrong. It happens all the time. And it's not always scenarios like I described where I strongly suspect that something bad or sad is coming and I really wish it wouldn't. There are plenty of times when I'm proven wrong about something and it just barely registers. Like, fine, no big deal. Definitely no humiliation happening. So is it because of the strong stance part? Well, partially, but I don't think that's the whole story. I think the strong stance is a necessary component. I don't think I've ever felt like I was eating crow when I was wrong about something that I'd felt lukewarm about. But I think there's even more to it than that, because there are definitely things that people feel strongly about, but they don't feel humiliated when they're proven wrong. Here's a great example from obstetrics, the ARRIVE trial. This was an RCT published in 2018. It was a large, well-designed RCT of elective induction at 39 weeks versus expectant management. It was only for low-risk singleton pregnancies in nulliparous patients, that is, people who had not yet delivered any babies in the past, who had not yet gone into labor by 39 weeks and had no medical contraindications to staying pregnant beyond that. The accepted knowledge up until that time was that induction of labor would lead to an increased risk of cesarean, especially if the cervix wasn't quite ready for labor, which it all makes sense logically. If you try and force the body into labor when it really isn't ready for it, you would think that there would be more times that things just didn't go smoothly than if labor just happens on its own. And there were observational studies supporting that mindset, but no large-scale RCTs. So the ARRIVE trial happens, and lo and behold, their outcomes showed a lower cesarean rate in patients who were randomized to elective induction compared to the ones in the control group. Now, obviously, I'm doing some serious shorthand, but that's the gist of it, pretty much opposite of what was expected. I don't personally know any of the investigators, but I really don't think that any of them would consider this outcome as something that made them eat crow. I'm pretty sure they had a strong stance, and their stance was effectively proven wrong. I think many of us in academics have had research turn out like this, and by and large, it doesn't bother us. In fact, we usually think it's kind of beautiful because it's science and we love science. So there must be more to it, right? What's driving the humiliation part? As I was thinking this through, I came up with five types of situations that might be drivers for humiliation. And these are in no particular order. One, when you are emotionally attached to an outcome or a belief. When believing something to be true has become part of your worldview. Now I'm going to temper that and add only to a point, because what happens when you are extremely emotionally attached to an outcome or belief 
you're never going to eat crow because the more proof you're presented with that disputes your belief, the more you dig in and cling to your current belief system. This was a hard, hard lesson that we all learned after the Andrew Wakefield disaster from the late 90s when he suggested in several press conferences that there was a causal relationship between the MMR vaccine and autism. Despite all of the later proof that there was a blatant conflict of interest and personal financial gain, and the fact that his results were never reproduced in any other study, I mean, I could go on and on, but what the medical community learned is that presenting all of this evidence to people did the opposite of our intent. It just made people believe what they wanted to believe even harder. So we're not talking about that level of emotional attachment. But if you're moderately emotionally attached, not so much that you can't accept the new proof, it's sad. You have to let go of part of your worldview. That letting go process can be painful. And that's where the humiliation part fits in. Because the rational part of your brain probably recognizes that you had an illogical level of attachment. So embarrassment happens. Number two when you have thoughts about the people who represent the other side. So this is when you feel like there's a division and you're on one team, so to speak, and your team is obviously the good and right team. If your team thinks X and the other team, the bad team, thinks Y, which is the opposite of X, well, you're likely having a bit of righteous indignation about them and their beliefs. Remember righteous indignation? We talked about that a little bit in episode 51, The Ringleader of Discontent. Righteous indignation is anger driven by contempt. I have my righteous indignation about the people at that Florida grocery store who all leave their carts wherever they want to in the parking lot. Anger driven by contempt sums that up very nicely. So if you flip it around and it comes out that the other team is right and you're wrong, you might be thinking deep down in your brain, that now they get to feel righteous indignation about you. You've been thinking that they're monsters and now, oh crap, I'm the monster. Like if someone told me it's actually a good thing to leave the carts out because, well, I can't even think of why it could possibly be a good thing, but for the sake of argument, let's pretend there was a valid reason. Yeah, I would definitely have to eat crow. Number three when you cared more about being right than the topic itself. That one just speaks for itself. No explanation needed. Number four, when it outs you as not behaving as your best self or the person that you want to be. For these next two, I'm expanding the eating crow definition a little bit beyond having to admit to someone else that you were wrong. And I'm going to include just having a shortcoming that feels at least a little humiliating. For an example of this type of humiliation, it was one of my two Eating Crow episodes from that recent day. I've mentioned in earlier podcasts that I manage almost all of my patients' results myself and almost all over my chart. Things I generally reserve for a phone call are things where the result might be particularly sensitive or concerning or unexpected. And even with those, since the recent changes in the 21st Century Cures Act last fall, even those super sensitive and concerning and unexpected results are all available for the patient to view online well before I've had a chance to call them anyway. So I had results to review with a patient and had a momentary hesitation where I thought about making it a phone call. 
I decided it was fine to do online and that turned out to be the wrong decision. Now the issue here isn't that I made the wrong decision. It's that I had a moment of hesitation and I disregarded that. That's where I wasn't showing up as my best self or the person that I wanna be. That hesitation happened for a reason. And at this point in my career, I know full well that I'm gonna be much happier with my own actions if I stop and pay attention to those. Number five, last and very related to the previous point, when it shows you a weakness or a deficiency in an area that you thought you were good at or that's really important to you. So here's more to that example I was just giving. Clear communication is important to me and I take pride in it. I thought I had done a good job of explaining what sorts of results we might expect and what the next steps in the evaluation would be, but I clearly hadn't got my message across. I know I did deliver the information, but in this instance, I didn't do an adequate job of checking for understanding. Since this is something that's important to me and I had to admit to myself that I didn't do it well that time, it certainly felt like eating crow. And here's the thing, no matter which of these types of scenarios was at play or maybe some other variations that I haven't described here, the figurative eating crow doesn't kill you. I have no idea whether literally eating crow would, and I have no desire to find out. But anyway, it happens. And it's like, oh, it's so uncomfortable, and humiliation is never a ball, and you wish it would just go away. It will go away. But it will also happen a little less often and with a little less force and be a little less painful if you start practicing how to lean into it and learn from it. 10 years ago, having a day like that, I would have just been mad at everyone and felt super victim-y. Now, when I feel that icky sensation of having to eat crow, at least I know that once I get on the other side of it, I can leverage it for some good. Ideally, I would have liked to have a coaching appointment shortly afterward because it's always more helpful to have someone else pick through your brain. They can find all sorts of interesting things in there. But as it happened, that wasn't on the agenda, so I did some self-coaching. Usually the most useful way to do self-coaching is to write it all down. There's just something about the process of putting words on paper that creates clarity. The slot of time that was most convenient for me to process it was not a time that it would be easy for me to do a lot of writing either. So I did it all in my head, which can be effective enough as long as you keep to some structure and be persistent enough to make sure you keep going until you get to the root of things. Ask your five whys, accept the answer without judgment, and then decide what you want to do the same and what you wanna do differently in the future. One last aside before we wrap up, a quick reminder about the urge to people please and letting people be wrong about you. If you find yourself in the number four type of eating crow, the kind where you felt humiliated and realized you didn't show up as the person you wanna be, many of us will wanna make an apology when that happens. And of course, that's a good thing to do, but be very thoughtful about why you're making the apology and what you hope to get out of it. If your goal is to let the other party know you're acknowledging your misstep and that you're sorry for anything that may have caused them. That's great. If you're looking for absolution, though, that's not so great. It might happen. It might not. 
because we can't control what other people think or do. If you're looking for absolution or forgiveness, it has to come from you. I think that's a good note to end on because that last concept is probably going to need to simmer with you for a while. Thanks for joining me today. If it's beautiful and sunny where you are, go out and enjoy it. I will see you back next time. Any opinions or views on this podcast or on my website are my own and should not be attributed to my employer.